I'm gonna bring us back to January of 2021. I have a snot-covered mask in my pocket. I have just received a text from one of the four people I'm hanging out with during the pandemic, my good friend Jeremy. And somehow, I've ended up working in a cubicle with a headset for the unemployment office during a global pandemic. And I'm like, there has got to be more to life than being called a cunt on the phone every day. <laughs> Fast forward, yep. Fast forward, we are out of the cubicle and I am on a hotshot wildland firefighting crew. <laughs> now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with wildland firefighting, Starting on a hotshot crew is not the typical route, and I can say it is not the recommended route either. But uh, what, what that looks like is these are the crews that are sent into the highest priority incidents. There is a big emphasis on fitness and efficiency and essentially having all of your ducks in a row. Now, when I started, I felt like I had no ducks nor rows but I persevered and I fell in love with the job. It looks like 16 hour days, 24 hour days if you're lucky. It looks like spending the summers away from your loved ones, doing a lot of hard work, seeing a lot of beautiful country. And as a woman in firefighting, it looks like doing all of that and simultaneously being paranoid that you have yarded your pee funnel somewhere an overhead's already mad, and if it is discovered, it will be traced directly back to you. <laughs> Unfortunately, it also looks like being told at times by men who think that they are gods that you are worth less than your fellow crew members because you may not look the part. But I digress. I started on a Colorado crew, but I knew I wanted to get on an Alaska crew. I wanted to be closer to home. My father had late stage prostate cancer. And I also, Alaska crews sounded like a Daft Punk song. Harder, faster, better, stronger. And no, that is not a Kanye West song for those who are misguided. So I was overjoyed when I received an offer, a potential slot to be on my dream crew in Fairbanks. And I knew that I would likely be the only female seasonal crew member and that all eyes would be on me. And so that winter, I drank the Kool-Aid. And by Kool-Aid, I mean a lot of protein powder. I was working out a ton. I put paint cans in my backpack and trudged them up the hill with anyone who would join me in the snow. And I, at the end of it all, I felt nervous, but I felt capable. I was excited. And then my dear friend Jeremy died unexpectedly. And then my relationship crumbled thereafter. And I told myself, if I can just make it to Fairbanks, that all of these efforts will not be in vain. And somehow I can outrun this depression and still perform. I really believed it. And I was totally wrong. I showed up and 
we do these PT hikes where you're hiking in a line up the hill, carrying about 100 pounds of shit. At the time, I'm 140. You can do the math that it was very hard. And I got completely dropped. And I felt humiliated. I felt like I had failed myself, my crew, and somehow every female firefighter before me. I felt like I was at rock bottom. It felt like sirens were going off. And just when I thought that it could not get any worse, I received a phone call from my mother that my father's cancer had taken a turn for the worst. And so I resigned that summer to spend time with him, but also because I was not performing to my overhead standards. And I was humiliated. I had a good summer spending it with him, but winter rolled around, and at that time, he had gotten on a experimental trial, which was awesome, and he was responding well to it. And I'm like, what do you think I should do? I really want to be there. And if they could just see me when I'm not at my absolute worst, like, I think I can, I have a good chance. And my dad's like, well, Emily, you got to take this critique head on, and you got to prepare so hard, mentally and physically, that when you come back, you're an asset, that there's no possible reason that they want to punch you off. That's what we call get rid of, excuse me, get rid of someone that isn't performing off of the crew. And so I did that, and it felt like the hero's journey. I showed up feeling like an assassin, like I meant business. I did not talk, I just let my work show. And it was going wonderfully. I was getting training assignments, I was leading multi-victim medical scenarios, it felt like I was Icarus, flying not too close to the sun, but that things were really, truly aligning. And it was about two months into the season that I'm riding this high that I received the call that, from my mother that my father is no longer responding to cancer treatments and that there are no other options and that he is going to die. Now, this is a phone call that you can prepare for mentally as long as you want, but there is no way to tell how you're going to react when it actually happens, because it may be that it, you're all smiles on the fire line, but at the end of the day, when everyone goes to bed, when you are alone with your thoughts, you are devastated. My father passed away August 12th. And I took some time off work after that. I did some hiking. And I did a lot of reflecting on what hope and love looks like when everything truly feels like it has fallen apart. And I came to the conclusion that it really is all around, whether it looks like a hug from your old man or giving yourself the grace to step back and pick up the pieces when it all comes crashing down and not give a damn of what anyone else may be speculating or thinking and to pick yourself up and keep going up that hill. Sometimes where you want to be and where you need to be are not always aligned. Thank you.